0: This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to helping you become a savvier marketing leader no matter your level. In each episode, we will dive into a relevant topic or challenge that marketing leaders are currently facing. We will also give you practical tools and applications that will help you put what you learn into practice today. And if you missed anything, don't worry. We put worksheets on our website that summarize the key points. Now, let's get to it.
1: Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini, and today we're going to do another elaborated marketing smarts moment. And this one is really going to focus all around how to use digital media tactics in order to achieve the business results that you're looking to work toward. And we've covered this topic in various ways before, but we've never really gotten into it at this granular level. And we feel like this provides really good insight into what can often be more of a black box for folks, especially with how much the digital world changes. And so this conversation will focus in those tactics, but also get really clear about how and what you should be doing in order to chip away at the business results you are looking for.
0: Yeah, and consider this a little bit of a tutorial about what is working now in the moment, because as you guys know, these things change on a regular basis depending on what Meta wants to do with regards to their algorithm. But it's also a really important foundational understanding of these tools in general and how these tools can really help you boost your business.
1: Yeah. And the one last comment I'll make is this is relevant no matter what kind of business you're in. So it applies to B2C, B2B, all service-based businesses. So this should be a good learning for anybody listening. And as we often like to do, we are bringing not one this time, but two guests on to discuss this topic today. And that is Blake Pinsker and Tori Rowe of Dream Labs Agency. Nice to have you guys. Would you like to introduce yourselves and your company?
2: Sure. Thanks for having us. I'll kick it off. So my name is Blake Pinsker. I've been in e-commerce and marketing for the majority of my career. I started back in 2013, I believe. And I started working as a side hustle for an early e-commerce company, also known as MVMT, but actually pronounced Movement. And we were actually the first direct-to-consumer watch company. I came on at a very early stage when uh, social media marketing was really just getting started. And social media advertising was just getting started. And right place, right time. We, we captured a market, an online market for watches and fashion accessories. And we scaled the company from zero to a nine-figure exit in just five years. And so there, I got to learn the ins and outs of digital marketing, digital advertising, what works in, you know in Facebook and meta ads, what doesn't work, influencer marketing, e-commerce best practices, you name it. I really got to learn it all. And ultimately, after we sold, I decided to leave the company and take what I had learned there and start an e-commerce agency specializing in paid social advertising. And the reason was largely because I, I felt like a lot of the agencies out there were getting a little too big for their own good. And then also there was a need in the market to marry both uh, the performance and media buying side of things and the creative side of things. It seemed like there was a lot of agencies out there that were specializing in one or the other. And I wanted to be elite in both those categories because in order to succeed, the media buying team needs good creative. And for the good creative to get the distribution that it needs, obviously, they need a media buyer who knows what they're doing. And so uh, along those lines, I teamed up with Tori, who will give you uh, an introduction of his story and his background. But Tory's a is probably the best media buyer I've ever met. and. He oversees all the acquisition efforts in our business, and he's also a, a business owner himself. So I'll let him touch on his background and do a better job at introducing himself than than I ever could.
1: <laughs> You're already speaking our language, though. So
2: I uh, appreciate
3: coming. it. Yeah, my uh, name is Tori Rowe. Similar to Blake, kind of have my background by starting my own brand as well. So in uh, 2017. I left being a police officer for five years and started my own uh, men's jewelry company with my best friend for us. Uh, We started in 2017, scaled that from zero to eight figures in three years. Uh, Same thing, kind of along that way, you need someone to buy or do paid media. Uh, We couldn't afford to pay someone from the get-go, so someone had to learn it. I decided to take that challenge on and ended up learning it. Uh, I don't think there's a much better way to learn than having your credit card tied to the back end of Facebook ads <laughs> and seeing the money go out of your own account.
0: Uh, uh-huh. yeah, we, We've been there. We've been there.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When you're not profitable, you know it. Uh, and so, you know, that's, I feel it for the client side for us. So I think that does me justice. Uh, and I still do that. So I still own mansion, uh, still chasing that a uh, nine figure exit, like these guys did over at movement things like that, uh, a little bit of a different world now. So yeah, along that way, um, Started to do paid media for other companies as well and got into lead generation and things like that. I've spent close to our, probably over a half a billion dollars on paid media already. Uh, hopefully I'll hit that uh, that billion one day soon. Uh, it seems to be creeping up there, so that's cool. But uh, yeah, and so Blake was uh, along the lines of the creative uh, expert. We needed someone on that side of the the spectrum to to be able to tie the paid media together and we ended up linking up and. Foreman Dream Labs.
1: And with that, let's get into how to leverage digital media to achieve business results. All right. So the first one we're going to tackle here, guys, is uh, obviously you talked about you bring the media buyer creative piece to the table in one. And really the belief and same thing we hold here is that it has to be seamless. It has to work together. And when we talked, it was, you know, really ensuring everything from no finger pointing, to being on the same page from the very beginning and then also using lots of testing and learning and optimization to get to the right solution. so talk to us a little bit about your process why this isn't so important and so fundamental based on your experiences and how you i guess how the sausage is made if you will a little bit behind the scenes
2: yeah so i'll give you guys a little bit of an idea and i think times have changed five to Seven years ago, I think media buying, there was more to do in terms of strategy and execution. There are a lot of different ways to scale an account. Today, the best practice is really to try to target as broad as possible and allow the the creative to really scale the account and do a lot of the targeting for you. Now, there's still a lot Tori's doing on the back end, but it's highly analytical, right? It's just diving into the data making sure you're cutting the right ads and distributing pre- spend properly, and then also just making sure you're uh, setting up the right testing environment. Having said that, though, if, if an account isn't scaling, it's usually one of two problems or three problems. One, the media buyer is shooting themselves in the foot. They're not giving things enough time to run or they're they're, they're over diversified in their spend. Two, the creative just isn't good enough. Or three, which is actually probably one of the most common problems, is there's not enough product market fit or it's not a mass market product. And so people will often blame that on the platform or the marketing, the creative. Sometimes it's just the product. It's your margins. You don't have enough to go acquire customers. Or it's just too competitive and too saturated. And so those are the three areas that I think are most important. And I think you, know, you need a lot of self-awareness and the ability to not finger point in business or sports or anything where you're just trying to improve because at the end of the day you know our our mission is aligned with our clients and hey if it's if it's on us and the creative isn't good enough we'll be the first to say it. Tori what do you
1: think?
3: I mean as far as like Blake kind of hit the nail on the head there as far as like our creative process and things like that and you know like you said how the sausage is made over here I think it's us working closely together, kind of reviewing our clients every week, uh, kicking the week off and kind of saying like, hey, what did we see results-wise this, uh, this week compared to last week, et cetera. And kind of being able to pinpoint where that issue may lie or how do we scale further? So kind of like Blake said, Mediavine's become more commoditized. You don't, you don't do as much as you used to and More more of it is analytical now of like, okay, why did we not be like, why were we not able to scale You know, the account? 10x in the last year what happened where where was the the main issues and us being able to diagnose that from the creative aspect of saying like hey maybe you know the click-through rate's not higher high enough the thumb stop ratio is not high enough whatever it may be and then also going to the media buying side and saying hey you know what it looks like click-through rate and everything was good but conversion rate's not there what do we need to do here so it's just just having all hands on deck, I think you need to look at things more holistically than ever before. It's not as simple as just driving traffic to the website. I think people are so used to getting hit with ads consistently everywhere we go now. It's just an ad is in our face. Uh, so things have to be you know, dialed in from the creative to the media buying to the website to the product across the board. And us having that uh, open line of communication between us and the client is what makes that successful.
0: Yeah, Blake, you said something really interesting that I wanted to probe on a little bit more because you were saying the strategy is to go as broad as possible and let the creative drive you. So I guess my question is, how do you then decide that you have good creative and how do you what's your criteria then for actually creating that creative? if your audience is so broad because the one thing we talk about is like if you're not very specific about your consumer your customer your client and they don't know you're speaking to them it's really hard to convert on any marketing content you put yeah. out there so can you speak to that a little bit
2: yeah you're 100 percent right and a lot of what is happening on, on paid social and digital advertising goes against everything you were ever taught about marketing <laughs> right?
0: Which is so awesome, right? Yeah, <laughs> right, be right. Good. Everybody's rolling their eyes right now. They're like, "Great, I just learned the other way, and I have to learn something new."
2: <laughs> right, right. And, and when I say broad, I mean the, the most successful products online speak to a very wide audience in a in a wide demographic, and they're able to scale to a multi million dollar company with a mass market product and you could still, you know, be gender specific or age specific, but it should still appeal to a very wide demo for you to get the cheapest CPMs and the cheapest customers you can acquire, right? And the more niche you get with that, the more expensive it is. So for a startup, it's actually really hard for them to scale profitably if their audience is very niche. Because it's very expensive to advertise to niche audiences. And I'm speaking strictly of paid social advertising, right? This may be different if you're trying to use different marketing tactics to build a small business in a local community or a brick and mortar store where you want to build a small niche local community or something like that, right? I'm talking broad mass market, paid social. How do we scale from zero to spending millions of dollars on paid social. Typically, having a mass market product is, is extremely important to do that profitably for those reasons, just because of the way the numbers shake out. And also, the amount of signal loss that we've lost from the whole iOS 14.5 has made things harder to target smaller audiences. And so, Facebook is basic, and Tori could talk a little bit more about this. Facebook is. Made it cheaper and more beneficial to target wider audiences and allow the the algorithm to do the targeting because we as media buyers and marketers don't have the same data that Facebook may be able to feedback. Does that make sense? Um, and Tori could touch on that a little bit more because he's much smarter than me, but <laughs> <laughs> appreciate <that's>, that. <laughs>
3: I don't know if I agree with that statement, but yeah, I mean, from like a data standpoint, like the actual, like how it actually works running broad is basically we go in, let's say, you know, Blake's wearing glasses right now. You know, we're going to sit here and try to sell sunglasses to someone. We can go target the demographic or like the interest-based audience sunglasses, but you have to also realize that. Paid media, uh, especially social, is cold traffic. So these people aren't going onto Instagram or Facebook and saying, "Hey, I want to go buy sunglasses." So you might be able to pique someone's interest who hasn't even been looking at that. So why are we going to go limit ourselves? So this isn't Google where we're like, "There's a, a paid keyword that we're searching for." This is just a cold-based audience that we're just trying to intrigue to buy an ad and say, "Hey, you want this?" Uh, so if the ad is good enough, like Blake is saying, to mass market. And you can convince someone that they need that, even if they didn't, weren't even looking for it. That's where you really have a killer product. Uh, those things that, like, like fidget spinners when those got really big, or like, you know, things like that. Nobody even knew what that was yet, but people got online, they got hit by this ad, and they go, "Wow, I want this!" And that's what happens. Those are the products that get very successful very fast. It's convincing someone they want something that they didn't even know that they needed.
2: Yeah. And to Tori's point, I think that that also answers the question like, how do you know the creative is good? And it is a mix of product market fit and creative to be able to scale within a margin that you have to acquire a customer. Right. And I encourage people to have a budget where, let's say you have $50 to go acquire a new customer profitably, anything over that, you're not profitable. You need to test. And reverse engineer what good creative is on these platforms. Try to recreate that for your product, sell your product with that ad and find a a medium where you're scaling for under that CPA of $50 to acquire a customer, right? If not, at a certain point, once you burn enough cash, you could say, Well, we either one don't have enough margin or there's just not a market for this thing. And we've seen both of those. Things happen with startups who sometimes there's a product and the founder may think the product is just better or more unique than it actually is. Or they come to the market and they're like, we're just going to price ourselves cheaper to the other 100 companies that are selling the same thing. What they don't really realize is that person is doing bigger volumes. So their, their margins are better. And they're charging more. So mar- now their margins are even better than, than that. And so you're never going to win that battle just by having a cheaper product anymore because they're going to be able to outbid you to acquire customers and do it at, at a bigger scale. So those are, those are the two things to look at. And I think it just comes down to, to testing creative and finding what that sweet spot is for you.
0: That makes sense. I I definitely agree with the test and learn aspect of it all. And I definitely agree with having something that speaks to your audience in a relevant way and having that that product market fit. But I still am trying to like, like, put in my head and rationalize my head, which I know our listeners are going to be very interested in is then is there specific then criteria that my creative needs to deliver in order for it to meet what we think or we believe to be quote unquote good creative. Are there specific things that you that you kind of like questions that you would ask about the creative knowing it's going to be different for different um industries, but are there specific like checkbox things that'd be like it should have this or it should do this mm-hmm. or, you know, is, is yeah. there something you can specifically nail yeah. down? Yeah.
2: Yeah. So so every every product and brand is different. Uh, but there are best practices and, and all of those are really direct response focused. Right. And so we, we take on a lot of clients and we check out their ads and they're not direct response focused. So that's marketing one on one. How can you make a little infomercial in 15 to 30 seconds to really sell somebody? And so the people on Facebook, they even say that first three seconds is the most important part of the video or the creative to really hook somebody immediately. Throughout that ad, zero to 15 seconds. The focal point of that entire thing needs to be whatever that product is. So like if there's an ad where it's zoomed out and they're wearing the sunglasses, but they also have a hat, they have a shirt, you could see their pants, their shoes, you're going to get a lot of people who might be clicking or interested in the jeans or the shoes or the hat because the focal point was never the sunglasses. And so making sure your product is pretty much 100% the focal point throughout that ad. Is extremely important. And then third, I think it's just marketing 101. Why do people need this product? What are the benefits? What are they getting out of it? Why are they going to be a better person because of that? Where's the value, the value propositions that all needs to be intertwined in there too? And so those are the things we really look at. And that, that in itself will make a really good direct response ad. Um, I encourage everybody to reverse engineer people in that space or other people who are finding success online and go to their ad library, save stuff when you see it on Instagram and Facebook and start to take notes. What do these ads look like? What are, what are the trends and the commonalities we're seeing? Because you'll find that even across different product categories, there's, there's a playbook that all these brands are following and Once you get an idea of what those best practices are, you start to get your own inspiration of how you might be able to communicate that and message that for your product.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good approach for people to feel like they can be in the know and have some knowledge and understanding of how to create things that are going to work for them. Um, One of the other things we wanted to talk about today is building the right ROI, or measurement with the client so talk a little bit about i mean you know kind of building on what we just talked about about how you build effective creative how do you know it's working with clients and i totally get that it's all different they're all different they have different goals and objectives but how do you in this world of marketing where a lot of times we're asked for roi we don't have it in this case we do right because we're doing spend we have these different metrics that we're testing What is the process to creating those goals from the beginning since we're trying to meet business objectives with our clients and then ensuring that we achieve them along the way?
3: I see Blake and I both smiling because he knows knows I'm going to tear this one up. (laughs)
1: I saw you guys making faces at each other. And I'm like, "Uh, should I say this? Because they're not going to see them. But something's (laughs) happening behind the scenes here. So (laughs) yeah,
3: here's why is because I'm the exact opposite is I don't believe in true attribution. I don't believe that ROAS is a a true metric that people should follow. Where we we always tell our clients, like, we're not here to make Facebook look better, because I could do that in a second, I could do that just by picking like specific attribution windows, which is like one day click, seven day click or seven day click one day view. Meaning like someone views it today and they complete a purchase today. Didn't even click on that ad. It attributes to Facebook. So just that's going to make me look better as far as like return on investment from a media buying standpoint. So we always tell our clients, don't look at the attribution on Facebook. Look at your PL at the end of the month and let's see if that looks better. That's what we always tell people. Um, So the way we kind of set our goals, like you said, it's gonna be different per business model. And this is like the thing I love to do, is basically coming in and asking the client what their goal is for their business. Not necessarily what is your goal for us as a marketing company or a media buying company, creative, whatever. What is the goal for your business? Do you wanna scale this year? Is this year about profitability? Are you trying to get more subscribers? Uh, What is customer lifetime value? What is it? Um, So a lot of it just depends. They're venture backed or if they have money, obviously we can pay, burn things down uh, and just try to acquire as many customers as possible. But let's go to like the majority of e-commerce companies who are low retention, uh, single purchase items who don't have a high customer lifetime value. The biggest way for us to like depend on that is let's look at your margins across the board. It's cost per session or sessions times conversion rate times aov is like our revenue but then we're going to say what is our cost per session so how much does it cost to get one person to the website so it's basically just a giant algorithm or a giant uh, math problem of like okay what needs to improve here if the cost per session is already low let's say like 50 cents so it cost us 50 cents to get someone to the website uh but the, the conversion rates a decent amount as well, let's say three to 5%, somewhere around there. But AOV is only 30 bucks. It's going to be very difficult to scale here uh, due to this margin. So these are like things we'll go to our clients and kind of run these problems by them and say like, okay, let's look at all this. Where can we improve each thing? Where is our biggest, uh, our biggest lever? Is that cost per session? Is that your AOV, is that conversion rate, et cetera, et cetera. Usually the levers we can pull from a media buying standpoint and creative standpoint is going to be your cost per session. That's our goal. Most people struggle there. Like it's $4 to get someone to your website and your AOV is 40 bucks. You're going to have to convert one out of every 10 people. And that's a very difficult thing to do. So those are the kind of ways we look at things. Um, and so like when we try to measure that ROI, it's more or less, we look at it as a blended holistic view but we say what metrics are we improving month over month and what are our goals month over month and then at the end of that month your PL should look better if we're improving those metrics it's it's pretty simple
0: and just our our listeners Troy what's aov
3: average order value so if someone comes to the website and they uh, on average they're spending $100 um so every every order is worth a 100 bucks but then You're like, okay, our customer acquisition cost is $40. Now we have $60 margin. Now you got to take out COGS. Now you got to take out overhead. You got to take out all these other things and you slowly trickle it down. You're like, wow, we're only making $5 an order. Okay, so how do we improve that? We can either drive up the order value, meaning like cross-selling or upselling. Like, hey, I'm going to buy this t-shirt, but we're also going to sell you this hat as well. And now we've gotten to $120. Uh, and now that margin is increased. That's one way to do it. Or we're going to get people to the website for cheaper, which is better creative, which is why we rely on the creative team, uh, better assets for us to put into uh, social media. Or the last one is conversion rate. We're not displaying the value of our product well enough on the website to convince someone why they should buy. It. We have a low conversion rate. Whoever's on that website is not seeing the value uh, in your product. Or you might be overpriced, you might be underpriced. Uh, either one can actually, like if you're underpriced, sometimes if you raise your price, 10 bucks, you'll actually drive up your conversion rate because people don't see value, like if I'm buying a $10 cell phone, you're like, this thing's probably going to be terrible. If it's a $500 cell phone you have, and it could be the same thing. You're like, oh, it's probably going to be very good. Like so, there's this aspect of that as well that people have to test and, uh, and try out.
1: You have asked for it, and now it's here. The Brand Strategy Workbook. Three insider secrets to build a powerful B2B brand to transform you from a commodity into a market leader. This strategy has been tried and tested on 20-plus industries over a combined 40-plus years of experience. Do you want to stand out in your industry and get more sales? Show you're different to attract and retain top talent? Build a brand that drives real business results? Then go to forthright-people.com forward slash brand strategy and get started now.
0: I wanted to ask too, because we've been talking a lot about product-based, is there a different mentality or do you approach it differently for a service-based business or a B2B? 100%. Um, so it
3: depends on most B two B companies um, aren't selling like it's not necessarily always e commerce. Most B two B, I feel like, is usually lead generation, especially like SaaS companies and stuff like that. I and mean, you're trying to do this, uh, you know, one on one with a sales rep. So lead generation was a, a large background for me. Uh, I helped a company from Paris come over to the United States and help scale them. As uh, their first United like employee in the U S. Uh, so I. I've uh, spent with ADT, Clover, some of the largest uh, solar companies in the world and stuff like that. It's it's a completely different ballgame. There's this back. So it's like the front end is the same. I'm trying to get people to the the website as cheap as possible and convert them as high as possible. But then on the back end of that, there's this sales quality. If I give you a thousand leads and only five of them convert, who gives a shit? Uh, Excuse my language, but and then if the other way, if I give you 100 leads and 15 of them convert, like you'd rather take the 100 that are more expensive. So it starts to get a little different there. And that also comes through through the creative and through the website as well. Are we selling those people along the entire sales funnel uh, and telling them to make it easier for our sales reps or make it easier for the business to end up selling those people later on?
0: Yeah, I think that's really great insight, because a lot of times when, especially our B2B or service based businesses are looking to do something like this, it's hard for them to get out of the mindset of the fact that they're not a product. And then how does this churn and burn with that? And it is very different. It's different from the creative is different to the execution. It's different on what you're trying to achieve, which is highly more relational based than you know, I have a good and then you want to buy my good you know, type of thing, you know, all of it's still rooted in like the emotional connection that you're trying to create. So I think that's really helpful for everybody to hear. Because sometimes I think a lot of these businesses will opt out of any kind of high investments in digital or even just concentrating a marketing channel on digital or social for those reasons. How do you help them? And how do you talk them through those challenges? of trying to get over like the digital that the fear of digital feel or social when they're in more that that b2b or, or service based businesses?
3: I think the majority of it is like, if you want to scale any business at all, like you have to invest in something to, to scale it, whether that's going to be a sales team, and you're going to go cold calling. Uh, and that's what you want to do and you want to go buy list or if you're going to say, Hey, you know what, we're going to do digital marketing, I think more and more digital marketing has become, you know, the leading you know, thing here for all businesses to scale from SaaS, B2B, or B2C, direct to consumer, whatever it may be. I mean, you got to put your money where your mouth is. Like, I think that's the biggest thing. If you if you want to continue to do the same thing over and over and expect to scale, like if it's not working, you know, you wouldn't be contacting us anyways. You wouldn't be thinking about digital marketing. You're obviously not where you want to be. You're going to have to do it. I think the hard part for most companies is realizing there's going to be an initial loss. Uh, There's a learning to anything. It's the initial investment of like, even a brick and mortar store. Like there's the initial investment of like, I have to open the store. I got to decorate it. I got to get products. I got to do all this stuff. It's the exact same thing in digital marketing. There's an initial investment for us to get data back into the platform and internally for us to get data to the creative team as well and say, hey, this is what we're This is what's not working. And this is how we continue to iterate. The good thing about digital marketing is there is data. So you can constantly see whether there's improvement. And if you're not seeing that improvement, 30, 60, 90, 120, you can cut it off at any point. Like that's the good thing, is you can cut it off, improve, cut it off, improve. Very seldomly, can, you can't do that with a sales rep. You can't hire a guy, W2 and be like, hey, you're paused for the next two weeks, we'll get back to you, we're gonna gonna go reiterate some things, like it doesn't work. So it's, (laughs) digital marketing is a pretty cool aspect that you can turn that faucet on and off uh, whenever you see fit, whether that's with seasonality or whether you need to go back and restructure some things on the business side as well.
1: Well, and I think you bring up a really good point with all of that, because I think it's also a level of comfortability and what people know, too. So when you give the example of doing brick and mortar, people don't even think about that piece of it, I don't feel like anymore, because it feels less risky because it feels familiar to people. And so I think it's this whole i know enough to feel comfortable i've opened a store before i've decorated it i've done product mixes i've walked the customer journey those types of things so how do you help customers stick in it for the long haul because that's something we get asked a lot too is like you know you you hit the 30-day mark and the client's like it didn't work we're taking it off right and so how do you convince people or what is the sort of the thinking behind it. you have to stick with it. And yes, we're going to change the mix and we're going to optimize. We have the metrics, but what does that sort of behind the scenes conversation look like?
2: Yeah, it's, it's difficult. <laughs>
1: Blake's up. Hand it back over to Blake. they they do, they have head nods, guys. They've done this before.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we, we try not to talk over each other. Sometimes it's inevitable. <laughs> uh, but yeah, i I'll, I'll answer that one. So I think the challenge is. Just as you outlined, right? If, if somebody's not making money, at a certain point, something's got to give. You as the agency even throw your hands up in the air, like, "Yeah, we should probably see be seeing results by now." So something's off. I think it's important to show progress. I think it's important to show that the changes and tweaks you're making are for good reason. And I think it's important to also be proactive, and so. When you're in that learning phase, how quickly are you actually learning and adapting and iterating, right? And I think it's it's all hands on deck until you figure that out and you get things to a place where you've, you've solved a lot of the problems and you've found success. You know, we go through this when we bring on new clients who haven't already figured out what works. Sometimes it takes a few months to really see results because we're gonna start testing and iterating and that's just not something that anybody can necessarily do overnight, right? And so that process takes time and we try our best to get there as fast as possible, but you just gotta be proactive and actually make changes because if, if you just keep doing the same stuff, uh, obviously you're going to have the same results.
3: Yeah. Just to hit on that. I would say, say a couple big things here is one big thing is showing the failures as well, showing your success and failure, showing that you are testing, showing that you are trying new things. If people, if they understand that you're trying new things and they understand that there's a method to the madness here, like they're going to stick by your side and they understand that they not, everything's going to be a home run out the gate. I wish it was. Uh, but even sometimes we might go into a client that like a vertical that we've already had before and something completely different works for each client. It's not always the same. The other thing is, too, for us at Dreamlabs, most of the clients we work with are already $10 million plus businesses uh, with annual revenue. Those C-level execs, founders in those companies understand that nothing happens overnight. Uh, and I think that's a lot of things that startups struggle with, a lot of people who are just getting started. Money's tight. We got $10,000 in the bank account and, you know, things are getting tight, you know, you're going to stress out. You you start to get finicky. You want to touch everything all the time. You want to try to make changes all the time. And especially with paid media um, and social media advertising, like everything is data getting fed back in. And so the more you're changing that data and not letting the algorithm learn, you know, the harder things can get for yourself. So a lot of it is just being patient. I, like, There's not very many overnight successes out there. A lot of this is just a patience game and continuing to make small tweaks and small changes until you become that so-called overnight success in 10 years that uh, most of those are.
0: I, I like what you have to say about the failures, too, because I think that really helps to build trust as well. So people know that you're looking at it, not just from a, a one trick pony that you have a process and it, whatever you do applies to everybody, but that there is an optimization timeframe, which I think helps people understand that you're in the business, you understand the business, you have the business's interests in mind. But knowing that you guys tend to kind of hit some of the, the businesses who have already been like a little bit more established for our little bit more of our startups or maybe our, our smaller businesses here, how would you suggest that they get started here? Like, what is a good, just structure framework, Budgets a big question we to asked. I know that's a loaded question, because it, it varies greatly. But if you had to give like a range of like, hey, this is what you guys should prepare yourself for, and then knowing you need to prepare yourself for this, because you're probably going to lose <laughs> more than you're going to gain, especially in the first couple of months as you're learning, can you just kind of help people kind of internalize that a little bit?
3: let's just i mean we'll we'll go right after it the budget question this is something a lot of people ask me usually i tell people like average order value is hard if a lot of people don't know but let's say like you're a single product and it's 50 bucks for cost i mean start with 50 to 100 bucks a day and you should be getting one to two orders to back that money back out Uh, you're basically just trying to break even or get very close to breaking even in the beginning you're trying to find like Blake said earlier, product market fit. This is a proof of concept at this point for a lot of startups. That's all you're trying to prove. I mean, your creative has to be somewhat dialed, but it, it could be very simple of just like a good product image or a good product in use uh, with a couple key benefits listed over it. It doesn't need to be something like a full blown video or something crazy here. Just show the use of the product or show what the product benefit has to me. Uh, like, t-shirt companies all the time like guess what they're not doing anything crazy they're usually just still t-shirts on models
2: there's nothing (laughs) wild
3: here like this isn't like something crazy that's going on here so it's like even at the top like it's still pretty like you want to try to keep things simple across the board and to get started it's just being slow and methodical testing a few things two two three creatives uh with a low budget let that run for a week See what happens. If it doesn't work, change those two or three out, try again, change those two, three out, try again. And you just continue. And like the biggest thing is like, let's say you test three images, we'll go back to the t-shirts and like, it's a ones a black t-shirt, white t-shirt, red t-shirt. And the black t-shirt has the best click-through rate, even if it's not converting that high, go make three new ones with the black t-shirt because that's your best metric. And then you just continue to iterate on that over and over again until you get to where you wanna be.
1: All right, so um, the last kind of question we have here, which we've talked around this a little bit, um, but I know one of the big things for you guys is around scaling businesses. And Tori, you just touched on, you know, Mm -hmm. the good thing is we typically have ones that have been in the game for a while. And so we've spent a little time talking about the startups and such, but switching gears, um, when we initially talked, I know we talked about like, What we're trying to do is grow these businesses from six figure to seven seven to eight and beyond that and so talk about that ride if you will or the journey of that obviously that requires you to build long-term relationships with clients Um, what does that look like because i think that can provide some insight for folks into finding the right partners
3: the big thing i think when you no matter where you come from start up to the seven figure eight figure nine figure is sometimes i think what's hard for businesses is the business model sometimes has to change when you get to certain levels that people Mm -hmm. have to reassess. Like what gets you to six might not get you to seven, uh, might not get you to eight. So that's one thing that I think a lot of the big businesses are good at is realizing like, hey, we might need to expand the catalog. We might need to change our pricing. We might need to test things. There's more testing that goes on at the top. I would say for us, those seven, eight figure companies that we work with, I mean, we have companies doing, multiple millions a month um, right now who are trying to chase down that nine figure uh, yearly. Those companies understand that it's still the same game that it was at the startup level. And I guess what I mean by that is it's still small improvements one thing at a time. Uh, But the small improvement with more traffic obviously makes a bigger dent in revenue. So for example, a lot of like, our friends or you know people reach out and be like hey I'd love to pick your brain I'm about starting a company and we're like what should I do first and you're like okay like focus on one order a day and then like the next thing is focus on two orders a day and you just scaled and doubled like it's that simple and then it's like okay three orders four orders so like we try to look at like it daily or weekly uh usually weekly chunks of like. How can we scale 5% in the next week? What do we need to do? Well, conversion rate, AOV, cost per session, click-through rate needs to get better. Those things, it's still the small little tweaks. It's not a big thing, but a $0.05 difference on cost per session, if all your other metrics hold, like we spoke about before, with 100,000 sessions a week, this is a massive jump. Um, And those guys up there at the eight-figure, nine-figure level understand that. But honestly, the game doesn't change a whole lot until I think – you understand, like, there's points where it's like what like, kind of said with the mass market thing. Some companies just, you're never going to get there. Like, you're never going to get to $150 million in annual revenue. Your product might not fit it. It might not be a large enough margin on your product to go acquire that many customers and pay for that many customers. Or you don't have a high returning customer rate. Your retention is low. All of those things start to come into play. Like, I can be full transparency with our business, Mansion, where men's premium jewelry company our retention isn't super high, like, because I don't know how many necklaces a guy needs, like how many, <laughs> how many braces does a guy need? They're not buying 20, 30, but then you have like athletic greens or you have Lulu uh, Lululemon or aloe or all these other things. Women are buying 35 yoga pants just for like this week. Like it's insane. So it's like, there's yes, a completely are. different, yeah, there's a completely different business model here of like what things need to do. And people start to tweak that as they get up there to make it easier to scale. It's not always just like your creatives only going to get so good. Uh, your media buying is only going to get so good. At some point it's just raise the budget and let the business do what the business does. And it's whether you've built a good foundation for that to to happen.
0: Awesome. So usually we like to do some rapid fire questions just so our audience can get to know you guys as people a little bit, just to kind of bring a little bit more flavor to what you guys do. So. I'm going to give it to these to you. You guys, uh, just give me the, the quick responses, all right? So if you were not doing what you're doing now and you could do anything that you want in the world, what would it be?
2: I actually thought about this the other day because football season just started. <laughs> I get super into the season. I love breaking down X's and O's. I love just the idea of leading a team, going through the ups and downs. And so I was like, you know what? I could be a coach. <laughs> I like <laughs> But I, I definitely don't want to start at like the collegiate level or the guy who's like getting the, the real coach coffee just to like work my way up. <laughs> so that would be a tough career transition, but boy, it would be fun to be uh, within a pro sports organization doing something like that. That would be, that would be fun.
1: Awesome. It's a great one. What about you, Tori?
3: Very similar. I think I'd probably be a pro golfer. Not good enough to do it, uh, but <laughs> what a life! Jump on some private jets, go golf, get paid to do it. You know, like that's a hang out with the boys all day. That's a that's a good time.
0: I like that. I was actually, I mine's a more along the lines of a place I want to be an uh, NFL ref. That's
2: mm. Always my wow. That's a tough job.
0: <laughs> I know, a
2: really but you part
0: time, so you can make it work with everything yeah. else, and you know. Females rise within, although it's great to see more female. Yeah. We so. need
2: people like you because it's not for everybody.
0: Yeah. I don't think anybody would mess with me on the field, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yes, Anne, whatever you say. And of course, there's yeah. an interception, Anne. <laughs> there you go. There you go. In your mind. I'm, backing, all it up. Yeah. I'm
2: backing it up.
0: <laughs> My second one is a uh, favorite place that you have visited that maybe nobody has really heard of.
2: Whew. Wow. Okay. That's tough. I'm going to go with somewhere where I don't think a ton of people have been, but Tel Aviv in Israel Uh, is, it's obviously not unheard of, but a lot of people won't go there because either they're not Jewish or whatever reason. It's one of the most beautiful, amazing cities I've ever been to. And the history there is just out of this world. 10 out of 10, probably the, the coolest place I've ever been. Highly recommend going there, checking it out.
0: That's a great one. Tori. Yeah, this is a
3: tough one. I would say White Rock, British Columbia, up by Vancouver. uh, There's some places out, like, if you haven't been to the west coast of Canada, it is one of the most beautiful places in the entire world. So we obviously have, there's more people in California than the entire country of Canada. So it is very unpopulated and you can just like, it's great, like I'm a big hiker and stuff like that. I live in Denver. So like going on hiking trails out there and stuff like that, and there's like untouched waterfalls. Like there's things that like people are, you're never on the same trail as other people and things like that. White Rock has an ocean out there and lots of waterfalls, it's a beautiful place.
0: that's a good one too. I can see it. Okay, the last ones, so especially since you guys are both sports fans, what's your at-bat song? It's
3: a good one. It's easy, you got the <laughs> magic stick. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <the> magic
1: stick.
3: <laughs> That's an easy one. Come on. Oh,
2: that is a good one. I heard this after the Colorado game. Deion Sanders is playing it as theme music, but it's an old yin-ying twin song called Halftime. Mm.
0: Uh.
2: Yeah, there's a video of him playing it in the locker room and it just kind of got me fired up. And at that mo- in that moment, I was like, I will run through a wall for Deion Sanders if I <laughs> if I play for the guy. <laughs> Probably also got me on like the coaching thought. Like I want to be, I want to be like Dion. (laughs)
0: Well, when you said that, that was my first thought that came to mind. So that's kind of funny.
2: Yeah. He's, he's out of this world though. Yeah, he's rocking it. He's kicking ass right now.
1: This has been a great discussion guys. And the way we'd like to round it out is to ask you to let us know where our audience can find you if they want to continue the conversation or talk about working with you guys, uh, any last minute comments about things we didn't cover and just kind of bring us home.
2: Yeah, so you can find us at dreamlabsagency.com. Site needs to be updated, but if you're interested in seeing some of our latest work uh, or case studies, feel free to reach out either through the site or you can find us both on Twitter, Instagram. My my Twitter is at Blake Pinsker, first name, last name. So is my Instagram, Tori. believe yours is first name, last name as well, right?
3: Correct. Yes. Uh, same thing, first name, last name, T-O-R-I-I, the double I's there. So hearts over the eyes. It's beautiful.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, this has been a fun one. Thank you guys very much. And then with that, we will say, go and exercise your marketing smarts. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com.